0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our December 7th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and I'm excited to have you for this hour. Hopefully that can give you some perspective, some information that can guide you a little better in making your money and investment decisions. And there's a wide array of topics that we can talk about uh, in the news. And it might be easy to forget that today marks the 79th anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. And this is an event that really dragged us into World War II, you know, the end of the last fourth turning, right, the, the winter cycle, and, you know, now we're in the midst of the, the next one, right, the next fourth turning, this next time where uh, the world's changing, and I think we all feel that, and COVID was kind of that spark that has pushed us into a new direction, both uh, monetarily, geopolitically, et cetera and we're entering the final year or now in the final uh, month of this crazy year that I think is going to be a spark for the next 10 years and you know I think in in this anniversary today it's important to step back we get so caught up in the minutia of individual companies and sectors and what is the next piped uh company or asset class or news story that might hit the the airwaves. And we tend to forget. We don't step back and look at broader cycles and the history of different events that can really spark a sea change. Right? And so many people are colored by what's happened over the past two, three, five, ten years. And they think that is what the world is going to look like, especially on the investment side, the next three, five, ten years out. And the reality is, is that in a lot of ways, it's going to be very different. Some ways it's the same, but in most ways, it's going to be different, right? The previous, think, go back to 2010. Okay. And think from 2000 to 2010. And think of 2000, we started off with the tech bubble, right? Entered the 2000s with the tech bubble. That crashed, right? NASDAQ went down 70%. Then you had this huge housing bubble. And then that crashed, created the financial crisis, okay? Which was so think about how different that period was than the 10 years before that, the 90s, which was all pretty much positive. You had a little bit of a rough time early in the, in the 90s, but most of the 90s was nice bull market, quiet geopolitically. And then you had 9-11 in 2001, right? And now to the, think 2010 to, 2000, to, 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 you know, before COVID. What that was like huge central bank intervention. You had the Trump election and and that craziness that went with that. And then the equity markets, right? Consistently rallying. Bond yields consistently dropping. So just think back to the last few 10-year cycles and understand that, guess what? The next 10 years is going to be very different. So you have to think that way. You have to think, hey, just because X was working over the past 10 years doesn't mean it's going to be working here in the future. I've talked about this before. Inflation picking up. M2 growth dramatically rising. Fastest level since the world, sorry, civil war. It's hard to think back that far, right? None of us were alive then. But that's where we are today. And so, when you're making your investment decisions, when you're developing your strategies, you have to keep history in context. And do your best, I know it's hard, but do your best to to prevent yourself from having what is called recency bias, right? What happened last year? Or what happened the last two, three years? That's recency bias chasing returns chasing the 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 hot stock or hot sector that doesn't mean you don't do any of that doesn't mean that you ignore those areas but just go into it with a historical context in mind and know that don't overweight yourself just because it's interesting or exciting you know i got an email over the weekend uh, from somebody in the UK, said, what do you think of this portfolio when it was all electric vehicle stocks, right? So you can see the kind of thought process that just goes into that. It's just following that story with surely very little historical context, okay? So I'm Justin Klein. Uh, in today's program and podcast, I'm going to do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions, I'm ready to take your calls. I'm going to help you develop strategies, give you perspective and data that will help drive your thought process and thus investment decisions. So, eight 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 ninety nine chart, eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's check in on the market real quick. S and P down seven points today, very modest down day. Nasdaq was was. Up, up decently but what was interesting was a lot of the fang names were down right Facebook or sorry Google uh, Amazon was down um, Netflix I believe was down and that was up but there was a lot of those fang names that were that were down uh, today which was interesting to me even though the Nasdaq was, was strong so continue to see you know to me this is kind of a, a sideways uh, day what was the most interesting was gold. Gold had a very good day uh, despite the dollar kind of not doing much remember gold's been oversold you had this pullback and i think it might have ran its course here now let's go to our first caller question and discuss stld with jim in indiana
0: yep Yep. stld i'm uh i've been watching it for a little bit i've got some um not a whole lot but a little bit Mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts are and uh it's got a nice little upswing right now, and how long that might last.
1: Okay. Well, looking at Steel Dynamics, this is one of the largest manufacturer of flat rolled bar and rail steel and recycl- recyclable metals uh, and scrap metal. 2.6% dividend earnings this year down 17% to $2.58. Expected up next year to seven. Uh, sorry, 7% to $2.76. Even before COVID, they were struggling, right? You look back to the fourth quarter of last year, sales were down 19%, earnings down 53%. And that's that's my issue here is that they came into this week and while the demand for steel is likely to go up, and I like metals and raw materials more than most sectors in the market right now, my issue is that steel is very competitive uh, and there's very little competitive advantage that Steel Dynamics has. And that's my main issue. Uh And after this recent run, especially, right, it is up from a 52-week low of $15 a share to 38 still well below its 2018 high of around $50. But as, after this run, the fact that it has very little economic competitive advantage, you know, I'm not a fan of it return equity longer term kind of gyrates depending on the market environment and so you know it's okay it's always has solid positive cash flow. I don't like it after this run and it's it's certainly not my favorite within the within this specific industry, especially the metals or sorry the material sector as a whole so I just don't love it. it po- it's positive technically. It could absolutely continue to still run, especially if the dollar gets weaker, especially if materials continue to go up. There's nothing wrong with it in that sense. It's just not my favorite within the space. So what I would do is I would have a tight stop on it. The 50 day moving averages would, would be my stop. Okay. Right now it's about 33 and change. That's obviously going to rise over time, but that would be my stop. If it breaks below that 50 day, then I would be out. You're listening to Invest Stock, I'm Justin Klein. And in large parts of the country, winter is just about here. It's so already been some cold weather through in many parts, and the holiday season has begun. So while we adjust to a new way of celebrating, we should remember the task of building our financial freedom must continue at all times. So this goal requires information, perspective, and effective strategies. So let's talk about what is ever is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix, so we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART.
2: Look at the calendar. It's December, and the markets have been interesting, so you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. The Talk phone lines are open, and your calls are welcome now. Invest Talk.
1: 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. 888 So 4278 That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, my focus point today concerns a story about an analyst claim that they have four dividend stocks that could be good bets. And I'm going to just kind of go over the sectors that they cover right, as well as just kind of perspective on dividend stocks uh, in general, especially in a rising interest rate environment. That's what we have now. I know it probably doesn't seem like it. Your mortgage rate's not going up. The average mortgage rate hasn't really gone up too much. But if you look at the trend of treasury rates, that is certainly the case. Uh, Now, that always could change. But... For now, we have a rising interest rate environment, and we have to understand dividend stocks in context to that. So I'm going to focus on that here in a minute. But also, I want to touch on those that have been pushed into retirement this year, especially the baby boomers. Many have been offered early retirement. In fact, if you look at statistics, about 3.2 million boomers will retire here in 2020, either voluntarily or involuntarily, and that's the highest number of boomers retiring since the first boomers, the oldest boomers, started retiring in 2011. That was averaging about 2 million boomers each year, and this year we're about 3.2, so about 60% more. So we're going to touch on that phenomena and what to think about you know retiring during a pandemic is certainly uh, a big question mark for a lot of people so we're going to discuss that and then next we're going to touch on stock market t- returns going forward we're going to look back in history talk about what i what i touched on to start the show looking at stock market history going back 100 plus years looking back over the past 20 years or so has that compared to history and what should we expect going forward on a real basis, right? real returns. While people talk about nominal returns, people touch on nominal returns, but in this new environment where in- inflation is likely to go up, real returns on your money are going to be very important. And you're going to you're gonna have to understand that in context. And then lastly, if we have time, is the Robinhood app tricking people? into investing, making it more less than a less about investing and more about a game. We're going to touch on that as well. Now I can try to squeeze in, oh, do we have time for another caller question? We do not. Okay, after the break we're going to get to uh, a question about the new Airbnb IPO. But we're heading into a break and my phone lines are open right now. I'm ready to take your call at 888-99-chart.
0: Why are earnings so important? What does that mean, earnings per share? Or what's your question? Why not ask it now at 888-99-CHART on InvestTalk.
2: InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with Klein investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at InvestTalk.com.
1: Let's go to Roberto in Washington, D.C. He wants to talk with the new Airbnb IPO.
2: What's up, Justin? Thank you for taking my call.
1: Sure. Uh,
2: so, yeah, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the new, upcoming new IPO. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, these, these IPOs are, are tricky at the beginning because they're so hot. So, um, you know, regardless, I probably wait a couple weeks to see how the trading goes and um, see how the, the price reacts uh, with it being so hot but regardless of that what do you think of it moving forward um, I think the ICO price is around 56 to 60 so just wanted to see your thoughts of it uh, on it moving forward and especially in this you know all these hotels and stuff with the future of it do you think it's going to be based off evaluation? valuation and um, yeah uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that
1: Sure, Uh you know I like the home sharing, and Airbnb is certainly certainly the leader in this space. Now, remember when you're looking at an IPO, so many people look at the price of the stock and they think, okay, what's that's the value? Well, no, it's the value is what the, what the market cap is going to be. It's about 42 billion dollars if it's. Raises money at that uh, $60 share mark. So, and it's been up from 44, from 44 to 50, to 56 to 60. Okay, so if you're looking at say $60 per share last quarter, now if you look in history, they've never made money on a full year basis. They did make money in September uh, quarter of last year, so third quarter of last year, as well as third quarter of this year. Those are the two quarters that they do well, which makes sense. It's the summer period. Uh, people are traveling more, et cetera. They tend to make more money. Uh, if you look at, so if you, let's just annualize that, which is being generous, right? Because they haven't done that quarter after quarter after quarter for an entire year. But let's say they all are 25. Okay. So in a $60 stock, you're talking roughly 50 times earnings, which is pretty... Pretty expensive. Um, Now, longer term, there's going to continue growth, so that's positive. Uh, But there's also competition, right? There are there's another public company. I won't tell you which one, but they own a competitor. It's not a pure play, right? They own a competitor to Airbnb that does the same type of thing. So there are other avenues to rent out your home or rent out someone else's home. So. Well, Airbnb certainly is a good platform, like most IPOs, it's just overvalued. Right? Remember, when you've built, taken Airbnb from nothing, you've helped build it, whether you're the founder, co-founder, one of the early employees, whatever, you're not going to sell out your shares. You have a very vested interest in this. You're not going to sell out your shares at a cheap price. You're going to sell it at a very rich price. Okay. So, I just think at $60 a share, it's coming out pretty expensive. Now, that's talking about it from a long-term perspective. I'd be waiting for a more attractive price. Now, will it go up from the IPO price? Absolutely. It possibly could. There's nothing saying it can't. Or there's typically a lockup period, you have a low float people have an insatiable appetite for the story, and there's a limited number of shares out there in the float, right? 600 million shares outstanding, and only 101 million will be in the float. So you're talking less than 20% of the overall shares outstanding. Now, when that lockup period ends in typically six months, I don't know, it can change, suddenly that float starts to get bigger. And that's often when the pressure on the stock to the downside actually happens so you have to understand how these ipos work certainly could ride the wave but that wave may peter out sooner than you expect always a possibility with these ipos so hopefully it gave you some perspective on ipos and airbnb frankly we're looking at that competitor and the company that owns it so i would do a little bit deeper research you're going to find better value as well as more potential upside there but you always want to keep companies like this on your watch list and find a valuation, find a price where you say, okay, I would buy it. And we have our alert systems that, that tell us. You know, We have companies on our watch list who say, hey, if it gets to this valuation, if it gets to this price, we want to own it. And our systems will tell us that. So you need to create a system just like that. You can do it. So hopefully that gave everyone some perspective there. Now, my focus point today concerns a story analysts claim they have identified four dividend stocks that could be your best bet. So let's touch on this before we head to a break, and maybe I'll finish it up after. Now, this analyst is highlighting a big industrial name. This is his first. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can go to the website, our website, investtalk.com. We have the link there. Uh, but he focuses on an industrial name, and I like that. Now, is this the best industrial name to buy? Uh, I'm not going to say it is, but I like that, right? With a weaker dollar, typically these multinational companies do better, right? They're able to shift supply chains depending on currencies and price. They get a lot of their revenue from overseas when the dollar is weakening. That actually is a good thing, right? Because those foreign currencies translated back into dollars are higher. So, multinationals tend to do very well, and I also think there's going to be some incentives for these type of companies to onshore manufacturing, and that will help their business. I'll finish it after the break, but give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust K-E-R-O-N-E.com, Hacker1.com. Your objective
2: is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Before the break, I touched on this article, this analyst who is highlighting some dividend stocks. And so the first one is good because it's a multinational industrial name uh, with what I didn't touch on was an economic moat, right? IP manufacturing processes that are proprietary and they can earn above-average margins over the long term. So those are great factors of good buys uh, right now. The next he touches on a a telecom company, one of the big ones. We actually own it for some managed accounts, and uh, he highlights 5G exposure, and I think that certainly will be beneficial for a lot of the big wireless carriers. But I actually think the Internet of Things is the better longer-term tailwind, right? Because they're going to have the wireless infrastructure that will not only connect to cell phones and iPads like they do today, but other things like your refrigerator, right? Or your HVAC system in your home. Things like that. And... They'll be able to leverage their, the distribution of their network in more ways. And I think that is a bigger tailwind for a lot of these, uh, these companies. So, uh, certainly think that's an interesting space. Lastly, they touch on two retailers, more. One's a brand, one's a, a, a retailer. And my issue with, the recommendation, I'll tell you what it is. It's Target, and Nike. I think they're both great companies. I think they've ran too much, but they're good examples of two things. One, Target pivot has pivoted well. They're in, uh, they're good management, right? Making the right partnerships. I believe they're bringing in. What is? It? They're doing a makeup partnership with Alta. I think it is. I think it's Alta. If I'm remembering off the top of my head. So they're leveraging their massive footprint and their store space for partnerships like that uh, and partnering with different brands. And I think it's just a story of good management that knows how to operate in in any environment. So uh, same with Nike. Nike is less about athletics and more of a design company. It makes great designs, has great brands, uh, and they're actually pivoting to more online, and squeezing out their retailers in a lot of ways as well, which is upping their margins. So once again, a good brand. Those are two companies that have good economic moats, certainly on our watch list. Uh, but those are names, types of names that I think are important to highlight and look for in this type of market environment. 8899 chart 888-992-4278. Let's grab another caller question that came in earlier at 88899 chart. Oh, we're going to Sorry, we're going to a live caller. I'm sorry my uh my thing didn't, didn't Okay, let's grab one from Let's Darlene in Fremont. How you doing about How you doing Darlene? Fine. How are you? Doing well. You want to talk about your mortgage?
3: Yes, I do. So anyway, um, my husband and I are considering on retiring in three to five years and possibly selling our home. Mm -hmm. Right now, we owe one hundred and thirty thousand on our home at a three point one two five interest rate. So we have the opportunity to refinance at. um, Let me see what that interest rate was. Two. What did I say? Two point eight seven five which is going to save us, you know, some money, about 300 and I think I, I figure like about, about 350 a month. And mm-hmm. we were thinking about refinancing and maybe taking that extra money and investing it like in our 401K. So I'm just, I, you know, I don't know if we should just kind of stay where we're at right now or what we should do. But, you know, so I'm kind of confused on what would be the best thing that we can do.
1: Well, that's uh, it's a little bit of a difficult conversation without a little bit broader context of, you know, what are you uh, invested in your 401k as well as your other assets, what your uh what your risk tolerance levels are, should you be taking more risk, right? Cuz that would be taking more risk, right? Cashing out, leveraging up your home even though you have equity, that would still be adding more debt that would Uh, That will cost you money. That will cost you money and interest. uh, And then down the line, you're going to have to pay that back when you do sell your home in uh, a few years, which sounds like you will be. Uh, So that is an aggressive stance right now. Um, So it's hard for me to... Give you a straight answer. If you want to uh, maybe have a deeper conversation off air, I would send a message uh, in, uh, to our through our website investtalk.com, and we can set up a time to actually discuss a little bit more detail, income, expenses, uh, what you're currently invested in, etc. And that will that will help me give you the advice of should you get more aggressive or not. Does that make sense, darling?
3: Okay totally makes sense. Okay, I can yep. do that.
1: Thanks for the call.
3: Okay, thank you.
1: No problem. Great, great question. I get those questions all the time, uh, you know, at the office, off air. And you know, individual asset allocation decisions like that, that are talking about a small slice of their money, a small little little turn, it's hard to give the right answer Without knowing what direction they're going, right? Is that small turn more aggressive? Well, maybe they're too aggressive and they are getting more aggressive and they shouldn't be that aggressive based on their current situation. And maybe vice versa. Maybe they're not taking enough risk and that, that little turn is a smart move. And so that's how you have to think about these changes. That's why you have to understand your picture, your, your, your direction, your plan. If you don't have a plan, then you don't know whether to turn left or to turn right. And that's what I was speaking to with Darlene, is let's create a plan. Let's look at your situation. What is your plan? Does your plan make sense based on your situation or does it not? And this is what you have to do at home for yourselves. Understand your plan. Have a plan first. If you don't have a plan, then you're just out there doing things at random. And you're not going to get anywhere, especially where you really want to go, which is financial freedom. So you need to set that plan in motion. Then you reassess every few months, every six months, every year. Which way should I turn? Should I make little tweaks to the left, little tweaks to the right, etc.? Hope that helps. Hope that gives you some context, and I'm looking forward to talking talking to Darlene here. Hopefully, coming up this week. 8899 chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so let's touch on our next talking point, which is in relation to this. And I talked at the top of the show about how since 2011, when the oldest baby boomers retired. Those born between 1964 and 60, uh, 46 and 64 excuse me, when they t- first turned 65, about two million baby boomers retired each year since then, but this year about 3.2 million, some voluntarily and many involuntarily because of the pandemic. And if you look at the studies by the Pew Research Center, the primary contributor to the increase in retirement from the baby boomer population is job losses associated with COVID-19. Now, if you look back, the society of actuaries found that more than three quarters of retirees are doing the same or better financially in retirement than they thought they would while they were working. Another study by the Employee Benefit Research Institute says 77% of retirees reported feeling either very or somewhat confident about having enough money to live comfortably throughout the retirement years. Now, both those survey surveys were conducted last year and early in 2020, so before the pandemic. And certainly the markets were doing well, so that probably colors their vision a little bit. But what it shows you is that many people who maybe hit retirement a little earlier than they expected. Maybe feel a little anxious. Based on the studies, most retirees are in pretty good shape. So it might not be as scary as you think, but don't allow yourself to get caught up in certain things that you can't control, like the pandemic. But what can you do? What can you control? First thing is, like, the, like I said to the caller, we've got to create a plan. you got to set a budget. You've got to reduce debt. You've got to manage your taxes. Plan for long-term care. Timing of social security benefits to maximize those, those benefits. All of those factors are things that you can control. Your job situation, for the most part, you can't control, especially later in life, right? It's hard to shift careers, get a new job, especially if you're getting into your 60s. It's more difficult. And so it makes it even more important to have the proper plan. Have a, an emergency fund. Have a plan for your home. Are you going to sell it? Are you going to stick with it, right? That caller, Darlene, they said they're going to sell it in a few years. They're going to downsize. What? How much money will that likely free up? What are you going to do with that money? Now, if you download our podcast on a regular basis, you have probably noticed that Steve and I work in a mix of live questions and voicemail questions. So let's take a question that came in earlier at eight 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 ninety nine chart Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Devin
2: calling from Chicago. I had a question about Diamondback Energy, ticker symbol FANG, F-A-N-G. And it's in a good space. Energy is always solid, but just kind of wondering if it's a long-term hold or if it's something that I should pump and dump. So, um, yeah, any feedback you have is great. Love the podcast. You guys do a great job. Thank you.
1: Alright, looking at FANG, and a lot of people think FANG is like an ETF for the FANG index. No, it's not. It's actually Diamondback Energy. This is About a $7 billion market cap. It's an E&P company, meaning exploration and production. And it's an independent oil and gas producer in the US, mainly in the Permian Basin. And certainly with the downturn in energy recently, they've been down on their luck. Uh, Earnings went from $6.45 last year to only $2.91 this year. Supposed to get back to about $4. Per share in earnings next year. The price of the stock right now is forty-five dollars a share. Uh, their balance sheet is is decent. Uh, it's not terrible. Not too much leverage, and that's really what I look for in this in this space: is how much leverage is the company employing with their balance sheet? Have they overstretched themselves? All oil companies right now are having tough times, so it's you can't. Mark them for that. But are they going to be able to get to the other side of this cycle? That is the bigger question. Now, one thing I don't like about this company is that they continue to issue shares and their cash flow is negative. Free cash flow, excuse me. Operating cash flow positive. But they're obviously plowing that back into capital spending and they're issuing shares to kind of sustain this. And that's better than piling on too much debt. they certainly have some debt, uh, but that's my biggest worry here now, is it good eh, it's okay. historically, it's return equity return assets have fluctuated dramatically, but nothing has nothing really stand out to me so well, it's okay, I think it's relatively undervalued it's just not my favorite in the space, so what I'd be doing is saying. Okay, how do I upgrade from this? How do I get a bigger, more established name with a better balance sheet, with more history of better profitability, better cash flows, better dividends? Okay? So that's the way I would be thinking about it. It's not a bad name, but unless I have another, a mix of a few other bigger companies, right, with, like I said, better assets then I'd be looking to upgrade to one of those. Let's grab another VoiceBank question that came in earlier from Atlanta.
3: Hi, this is Ari in Atlanta. I'm actually calling because I wanted to include my daughter. She's 15 in investments, but I don't know how I should get her started. So just wanted to put a question out. Thanks. Bye. Well,
1: the first thing I would say is if she has a job, I would try to open up a Roth IRA for her if she can. She, does not, she doesn't have to actually fund it. But if she can just have a little bit of a job, earned income, whatever that is, you can put that money into a Roth IRA account. Okay. So I would think about that if you can. And having a little part-time job, not a bad thing. I know it might be a little harder than usual right now, but I think that'd be good for her. Next, if that's not the case, she doesn't have a job, then just I would open a brokerage account, uh, for benefit of maybe her name. Now, Steve and I differ a little bit on new investors. I always think, especially in today's world, now with no commissions, it's easy to put a few hundred dollars in, get them used to investing, and I like to invest in individual companies. Steve would probably say indexing, but I like the individual company route because it allows young investors to start to understand how companies work, invest in the companies that they like, right maybe they're on tiktok a lot and they want to buy uh, oracle right uh maybe they're on instagram and they want to buy facebook right maybe they have an iphone they love apple they want to buy apple and it gets them a little more involved in and in connection to stock market and then the real life things that are happening so that's the way i would get them started and start to learn but with a very small dollar amount This is Best Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here each and every weekday is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. So our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART.
2: Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the risk-alized results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the risk-alized quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Just a quick one: I have a 401k, not a lot in it, about 28,000, and then I have a Tesla stock of about 33000 I was thinking of stop investing in 401k and invest more into my Tesla stock. I invest about $600 a month, and I get a 15% discount on my Tesla stock buy. So can you uh, give me an answer
3: on that, please? Thank you.
1: All right, great question. Uh, I actually think I talked to this guy uh, off of air <laughs> last week, but uh, this is... Basically, what I said was, no, you know, I would be working that Tesla, those Tesla share, uh, holdings down. Uh, you never want to have more than about 15, 20% at most, probably closer to 10 or 15, actually, uh, in your company stock, especially. He works, uh, for Tesla. So there, this is not a situation where you want to be adding to Tesla. You want to be lowering your exposure to your company stock. Any company could be the next WorldCom or Enron, especially a Tesla who has a history of shoddy accounting practices and business practices and uh, securities fraud, right? So this is the name you want to be lowering your exposure to, not increasing it. Thanks for the call. Now, let's finally touch on expected equity returns. Top of the show, I discussed kind of looking forward. And what the next 10 years should look like uh, compared to the last 10 years. And a lot of people are bewildered by the fact that the stock market's up. And the fact that stocks have done better in the last century. Even if you vest- invested at the highs in 2007. And held through both the financial crisis and the pandemic. And since then... Stocks have annualized about 7.3% above inflation, real returns after inflation, including dividends. That's far better than the 6.5% real annualized return in U.S. stocks from 2000, or sorry, from 1900 to the start of this year. So, history says that stocks will actually do worse than they have over the past 15 years or so. This year, falling earnings coincided with higher prices. Why? Because interest rates were so much lower. Compared to bond market yields, stock prices look attractive. Now, the market is assuming that 2020 is basically a write-off. That next year, 2021 earnings will be about 4% above last year's earnings. And 2022 will be where about 2021 was expected to be before the crisis. So that's what the market is now pricing in. And that's why you're seeing such higher prices. Now, one big factor is that there's typically no alternative, especially over the last decade. With treasury yields being pinned close to the 1% level, stocks look attractive in relation now, if you go back to 2000, 10 year treasury yields then were 6%. While U.S. dividend yields, stock market dividend yields, reached an all time low of just 1%. So, comparatively, it was much, 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 much worse. Now, since the dot com bubble high of March 2000, stocks have had a poor return compared to history, only 4.9% annualized. Right. see so this is why it's important to look at different time frames and understand in context. Now, mainly the poor performance is because valuation came down. Valuations came down dramatically. Ford PE came down by a third from 2000 to 2007, even though earnings rose 68 percent over that time frame. Right. So that's why I talk about with multiples contraction, contracting. And why a lot of these tech stocks, high-flying tech stocks today, while their business might do well, so much of their future earnings is already priced in. So even if their business continues to do fairly well, they can just go sideways or down and have the multiple contraction, especially if interest rates continue to rise. And that's the big factor. You start seeing a breakdown, break out in rates, 10-year above 1%, getting that 1.5% or higher, that's going to be a big, big problem. For tech stocks, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. It will turn on Thursday. Steve Peasley will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, please remember that you can find all of our or hundred of our archived Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, you please rate and review the Invest Talk podcast. We appreciate that, and it'll help get our content out to more and more people and join our community. Now, if you want to listen live, you can also hear the program each weekday via our real time streaming through investtalk.com. Just click on the listen live button from 4 to 5 Pacific Time each and every weekday. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Call 1-800-557-5461.